Well, good morning, Crosspoint. Um, happy Father's Day to all the dads here this morning. Um, uh, let me just pause and, and just address the fathers here. I want to say thank you for the message you're sending to your families by being here. Um, maybe it's a cliche to say that actions speak louder than words, but trust me, by being here, you're showing your family how much you need Jesus. And, and, and there's no better example you can set for them. So having said that, my name is Miguel Medina. I am the lead pastor uh, in Crosspoint Español out in Orlando. Um, it is very appropriate that I followed the prayer of confession because I was confessing along with you guys that for me to get here at 10.03, I did not exactly follow the speed limit. But. <laughs> but we can move on from that. I've been forgiven. Uh, so um, if you've been around uh, the Crosspoint uh, family of churches for some time, uh, you know that Crosspoint Español was launched back in 2015. But I also want you to know that uh, some three years ago, around 2018, the summer of 2018 to be, uh, to be exact, Crosspoint Español had to face some unexpected transitions and was placed in a very precarious position. I, I'm, I am not exaggerating at all when I say that uh, the summer of 2018 could have been the end of, a li- of the line for Crosspoint Español. And I also want to say in no uncertain terms that it was because of Crosspoint Coast that we were able to weather that storm. I want you guys to know that. I want to say that through Pastor Jeremiah's help and through your generosity, through your administrative help, first through Joel Flair and now through Joyce Rep. Um, three years later, Crosspoint Español is now in a much, much healthier place. I want to thank you. This is because of you. This is because of your help. Uh, I, I, I want to show you that your support of Crosspoint Coast is rippling out in ways that may exceed your awareness. So let me make you aware of one of the many ways in which, um, in which you're making a difference. So please know that God is using your faithfulness here so that the gospel of grace will reach first-generation Spanish speakers in Central Florida. It's important that I make that point, uh, especially during these days in which I believe the enemy is seeking to, to build a rift between the peoples, and, and uh, uh, you are making a difference for us. Thank you. Um, well, today, I've been commissioned to continue our uh, Crosspoint Summer Series, uh, Fight for Joy, Here we are being instructed by select passages in the book of Proverbs. Uh, The book of Proverbs, you probably know that it falls under the category of wisdom literature. Wisdom wisdom is something we need to actively pursue because wisdom is not something we're born with. It it, it is not something we, 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 we include by default. And the specific kind of wisdom this series wants to give us uh, is definitely not part of us by default. Uh, and that wisdom is number one, for us to be able to identify how, how our fallen nature is trying to deceive us by promising happiness and satisfaction through sin. That's the first kind of wisdom that we want to attain. And then number two, uh, the, the, we, the, 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 uh, we want to be able to fight that lie with the truth, that truth being the knowledge that disobeying God is not going to bring us happiness. It will actually steal it from us. It will bring us misery. 
And also that, that, that this wisdom is going to give us the freedom we need to then strive for the true joy that can only be found in living for our Savior. Because remember, for the true believer, obedience to God is not the way of salvation. We are saved through faith in Jesus. Jesus paid it all. But obedience is the way to happiness for the, for the believer, for the true believer. So Jesus himself says in John 15... If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So your joy is on the line. So, as you may know, this series is looking at the sins commonly known as the seven deadly sins. And while the truth is that all sin is deadly, these sins in particular are unique in how they are a gateway to other sins. And today, uh, well, while he's away, of course, Pastor Jeremiah asked me to cover the sin of lust. I'm like, great. <laughs> now in Cross Point Coast, out of all the Cross Point guys, out of all the Cross Point pastors, I'm going to be known as the lust guy. I do have to wonder why I had to be the Latino guy, but hey, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> In all seriousness, you know, I'm joking about it. I'm making light about it because addressing this matter in church has got to be one of the most uncomfortable things <laughs> in the world. And, and through my life, I've seen people approach this topic the right way and the wrong way. But one thing's for sure, we, we, we still need to address this issue. We we. We cannot leave it unaddressed. If we don't let the word of God speak into this area, the culture is going to be very happy to offer its take on it. The culture will not be quiet. The culture will not hold back. The culture will appeal to our sinful nature. You, you've heard it. You've seen it. The, the culture will encourage us to express ourselves, to follow our hearts. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? You've you probably heard it all. This morning, I propose that we address this issue as frankly as Scripture itself does. Because the, the consequences of following our culture's lead have been disastrous. You've seen it. I've seen it. Um, maybe right now you're thinking of people you love who have suffered for believing this, these lies. Or maybe you yourself have borne the bitter fruit uh, of following those lies. As I said, we, we need wisdom in this area, and we don't have it by default. So when it comes to this topic, there's no shortage of wisdom in the Word of God in the book of Proverbs. So we're go what we're going to do, we're going to look in our, in our Bibles at a variety of passages that address the area of lust. And as much as humanity may try to obscure the issue in order to excuse its rebellion against its maker, we will find that God actually made a clearly lit path that leads us down a road of beauty, desire, and wisdom. So please, uh, oh, we're going to be looking, as I said, at, at a variety of um, passages. We're going to be looking at Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 11, and Proverbs 30. So there you have it, <laughs> 5, 6, 11, and 30. So be, be ready to switch around. Be ready to change back and forth. Try to follow me the best you can. Um, 
So be ready. Uh, uh, let's see. Okay. Well, while you look, I do want to mention. I am old enough to know that the the church hasn't always gotten it right when it comes to this, when it comes to purity culture. But now the culture is trying to take advantage of that in order to slander the Bible. So. As we read together, I just want to encourage you to let, let the Word of God represent itself and speak for itself. And let it correct your ideas, let it correct our ideas and our attitudes. So I will now read from each one of these passages, starting with Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 5. I'm reading out of the ESV. This is the Word of God. It says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Now I'll be skipping to verses 15 through 19. It says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now we will skip to Proverbs 6. 23 through 25. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. And now we will skip to verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. From here, we will go on to Proverbs 11, verse 22. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. And from here, we will go on to Proverbs 30, verses 18 through 20, which says, Three things are too wonderful for me, for I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. This is the word of God for us. Let's pray together. Uh, dear, dear Father in heaven, uh, there is, you know how I, as, I, as I prepared, I have, I've had to wrestle so much in the, and I just believe there's been so much opposition to this message being preached. Uh, there's so much that stands in the way. Even without that, Lord, my ability is very limited. 
my intellect is limited. I have personal biases. My accent is thick. The enemy wants to obscure this message. And Lord, indeed, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. So we come to you through him, through Christ Jesus, the Lord of hosts, asking that through the power of your Holy Spirit that I, that I would preach faithfully and that minds and hearts would be made sensitive to this word of wisdom. We ask these things in his powerful name. Amen. Um, not unusual, as many guys are, I am a lover of red meat. Through my example, I have taught my family very well. And now when we go out to eat, there have been times I've seen all six of us eat steak. Myself, my wife, the two boys, and the two girls. It's not cheap. <laughs> Especially when one of us has a birthday or a special celebration and wants to be taken to their favorite restaurant. Well, when we celebrate our, our anniversary, which is coming up in August, um, one place in particular my wife and I love is Texas de Brazil. Do you guys know Texas de Brazil? You guys have to check it out if you haven't. It's a Brazilian steakhouse um, where they just keep bringing you different cuts of meat. Just, you know, uh, steak, chicken, sausage until you're stuffed. This is a message on lust, not gluttony. So, <laughs> But that's also a problem for me because as you can see, I'm, uh, I'm not so young anymore. Days when I go there, so I don't end up getting sick at the end, I eat very lightly during the day before I go there. Or I skip a meal because it's, it's huge. Um, now, picture this. If I get there, they tell me I have a 20-minute wait. The worst decision I could make is tell my wife, you know what, I don't want to wait this long. You keep on waiting. I'm going to go next door to Taco Bell. I'm going to have a burrito and chips, and you tell me when the table's I mean, I don't know if you're able to do it, but I will not, I will not enjoy my medium-term Brazilian steak if I fill up on a burrito. I just can't. And, and yet, that is the attitude our culture teaches us to have towards sex and intimacy. It, it appeals to our sinful nature, and it wants us to believe that, that sex should be completely removed from any restrictions. And it also wants us to believe that there's nothing transcendent about intimacy, that it's basically as casual as getting fast food. And, and it does, definitely doesn't want you to be aware of the fact that we make decisions and we live with consequences. Uh, but this morning, the Word of God is going to show us a more excellent way. And it's going to appeal to us, telling us that when it comes to beauty, pleasure, and intimacy, don't settle for a counterfeit. Don't settle for a counterfeit. Now, this topic in and of itself is controversial enough for a Sunday morning. Far be it from me to bring politics into it as well. But those of us who interacted with social media through last election season and pandemic and all that great life-giving stuff, um, we, we have been able to see firsthand the effects of misinformation. We've been able to see what it does. And, and that is exactly how lust spreads its lies through misinformation. It's, it's nothing short 
of a skillful, skillful disinformation campaign. This is, a, man, this, is, uh, this is challenging my English skills here. A skillful disinformation campaign, which is targeting our hearts. So today we're going to look at the two ways lust seeks to deceive us, and we're also going to look at what lust says of our own heart, about our own hearts. So let's start with the first way lust seeks to deceive us, which is by hiding the truth. And the truth that lust is trying to hide is that sex was God's idea. I hope you know this. I'm going to say it again. Sex was God's idea. It's so quiet in here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you, th- you think Justin's, you think Justin is, is noisy, but... You know, but then again, Justin speaks English. <laughs> you should see me in my element. Uh, <laughs> so, when I say sex was God's idea, that means that sex, sex was not designed as a way to rebel against God. It's in fact something God created for his creatures to enjoy. You know why? Because God is good. <laughs> And it's tragic to see how, how even part of the church has bought into the enemy's disinformation campaign by trying to control people through the portrayal of sex as something undesirable and dirty. And not celebrating the fact that the Word of God shows very clearly that there is much joy to be had when intimacy happens within the context of heterosexual marriage. As a Latino growing up in, a, in an environment that was heavily influenced by Roman Catholicism and also by legalistic branches of Protestant Christianity, sex within marriage was often presented as a, as, as a necessary evil for the purposes of reproduction, never for pleasure. But in fact, Scripture downright celebrates it between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage. I mean, it portrays it as something to be indulged on. In Proverbs 5, uh, as a father is giving advice to his son and warns him from the dangers of, of immorality, that warning is followed by an outright blessing of the marriage bed. Proverbs 5, 18, 19. It's using uh, poetic language. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now, this, even though that last part was not as symbolic, was pretty direct, the rest of it is ancient Hebrew poetry. So, you know, for one thing, comparing the beauty of women with the grace of deer may not completely translate nowadays. Men, don't tell your wives they look like deers. (laughs) I would advise against that. But when you look at this passage, God isn't trying to hide how he feels about intimacy between a married couple. Even after many years have passed, I don't know if you can catch that. Because man, God wants the wife of our youth to be the source of our satisfaction. In his commentary on Proverbs, Ray Ortland writes regarding this verse 19, he says, the verse is emphasizing two things. The quality of married lovemaking, because you fill it with delight and you are to be intoxicated. And the quantity of married lovemaking at all times and always. The Bible is saying, when you get married, 
Drop your innovations and go for it in both quality and quantity. You heard it. <laughs> in church on Sunday morning. Man, don't thank me, thank Mr. Ortland. But he's not alone. If you go to Proverbs 30, uh, you will see another of, the, uh, another, uh, another of the people who contributed to Proverbs. His name is Ager. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his right, name right. A-G-U-R, Ager. He wrote about this subject with the same attitude in Proverbs 30, 18 through 19. He says, three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. When you see this, three and four, six and seven, this is a literary, literary device. This is Hebrew poetry setting up the last thing on the list. This is what's going on here. So when they say three things, four things, pay attention to that last thing on the list. So Agar is expressing wonder for the following things, but especially for the last one. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas. So he's talking about the way things move. And then the fourth, the way of a man with a virgin. He is simply enthralled by the events that take place on a wedding night. So through these examples, I would submit to you that scripture wants us to know that we, have the, that we have the privilege of indulging in these things within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Because marriage, and it needs to be within marriage because marriage should be meaningful to us. Marriage should remind us that one day we came before God and we came before his people and we made a promise that we wouldn't just walk away when things get difficult. And because of that, there is a distinct joy that you can have only in the presence of someone who's been there for you, both in good times and bad times. In the words of Tim Keller, in the biblical view, the purpose of sex is not personal self-expression in order to be happy, but personal self-donation that brings permanent unity and life in imitation of Christ. It is God's idea. God's idea is a good idea. And we have to celebrate this unapologetically. Now, this gift is undervalued when we loudly emphasize the prohibitions and what should not be done at the expense of celebrating what the Bible celebrates. If the Bible celebrates it and addresses it explicitly, we should as well. That's what I submit to you this morning. Now, um, so I, 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 let us be unwavering in our commitment to, to doing exactly that. Now, we undervalue this gift when we treat it just as an appetite to be fulfilled instead of your giving to an, uh, uh, the giving of yourself to another. So that is the second way in which lust seeks to deceive us by hyping the lie that, as I said before, that there's nothing transcendent about intimacy. That, as I said, it's basically just as casual as getting fast food 
and that you can indulge in it oblivious to God's boundaries and not face consequences. That is the lie that it wants us to believe. But throughout the book of Proverbs, we have warned against the seductiveness of lust. Proverbs 6, 23 through 25 says, The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Maybe you've noticed that it keeps on using the woman, as a woman, women as, 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 as a prime example of, of lust and, and, and temptation. So before you dismiss this as being sexist, first let me say that if you think men are, are responsible too, I agree with you and God agrees with you. There, there, there's, there's no tension there. But remember, this is poetry. This is poetry in, in this particular passage. Lust is being symbolized by a seductive woman. I don't think you'd get the same effect if you use an overweight middle-aged man. <laughs> no. but, but Proverbs shows us that engaging in this kind of sin is like spilling precious water on the floor, wasting water on the floor. In chapter 5, the sin of adultery is being specifically addressed. Again, making use of poetic imagery. Uh, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. If you jump to verse 20, you'll find more direct warnings. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of, of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Let me park there for a moment. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Let that sink in. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the courts of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. I mean, this is 180 degrees. Decision to, oh, it's only sex. Oh, we can just go on with life. We'll be fine. I mean, this is, what, this is what the culture wants us to believe. Uh, Proverbs 30 portrays those who follow this path. Uh, it shows them as people who see intimacy as just a snack, basically. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. But remember what I just read. God wants us to remember. Remember that our ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all our paths. We live in his presence. We live in his presence. We need to know that sex outside the protective bounds of marriage, uh, though it may be sweet at the beginning, because I'm not going to deny it, it will, not, it will definitely not be sweet at the end. Proverbs 5, um, starting with verse 3. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. 
Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. In his book uh, on, of meditations of Proverbs, uh, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life is the name of it. Uh, Tim Keller writes, Using honey as a metaphor for sexual sin is apt because honey can be electrifyingly sweet and pleasurable but cannot provide even the nourishment of a single square meal. And too much honey can make you ill. According to the Bible then, sex outside of a lifelong covenant of marriage is like trying to live on honey alone. Sex without a promise of mutual whole life commitment can lead one party to make a far greater emotional investment than the other with agonizing results. Or it can teach both parties to use sex for pleasure and not for radical self-giving. Either way, it's honey followed by hunger. That's the consequence of intimacy being treated casually. Do not be fooled. Consequences follow sin like night follows day. Proverbs 6, 27-29. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. And one of the reasons we experience consequences is because when we, when we value physical attractiveness, when we value sexual attractiveness over inward character, over the person's character, I'll be blunt, we end up in relationships with people for whom God is not a priority. And... Uh, Unless God intervenes in his mercy, well, the believer most of the time ends up being the one being, being the one dragged down. That's the reason the Bible says in, in Proverbs 11:22, "Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion." This applies to both men and women. Attractiveness without character is like putting a gold ring or even makeup on a pig. The pig might look fancy, but, it's, but if you get involved with it, you will end up covered in mud and, mud and manure. So don't believe the hype. Don't seek to learn the hard way. Instead, realize, and this is my third point, that, that lust reveals our hearts. And I want you to be aware that if this is an area in which you struggle, and that's most of us, I want you to realize that these desires are actually pointing to a longing for redemption. I don't want to take away the seriousness of our sin. I fiercely believe in the doctrine of sin. We are sinful beings. That's why we had the prayer of confession. At one point, we will have to meet our maker, who is a holy, perfect, and righteous God. Make no mistake. But we are complex creatures. There's more to us. We, we, we are complex individuals. There are reasons why we have proclivities to certain sins. 
we are a combination of our, our, we're a combination of our, our experience, experiences, our traumas, etc. And uh, it, and it comes down to different desires. For for one thing, you could have a, a proclivity to lust because you desire pleasure. I want you to know that the creator of sex is also the source of unmatched pleasure. Trust him. Obey him. He will reward you. Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is the source of pleasure. Trust him. Another reason maybe is because we, men are uh, visually uh, stimulated in, in, in a way that women are not. I mean, generally. They, I know it's not, uh, I'm, I'm generalizing here. We desire to see beauty. We desire to be visually stimulated. God is the source of beauty. Trust Him. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus sat down at the Mount of Olives and preached uh, in Matthew 5, He proclaimed, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, as we pursue purity imperfectly, coming to him every single week, asking his, his forgiveness and confessing our sin, we, we can trust that he is purifying us through Jesus and that we will see him through his mercy. Another reason why, why, why uh, we... Uh, why this sin uh, is a weakness is because we want to be loved. For some, uh, for some of us, it's the, it's the only way we receive validation. Please know that you are loved in Jesus. You are loved in Jesus. I know my accent's thick. You are loved in Jesus. You are. Ephesians 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was all of us. That was, uh, that's how, we, that, that, that's, uh, that's our default mode. But I'm glad that it doesn't end there. Verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, not when you decided to do better. Not when you committed to change. When you were dead in your trespasses. When you didn't deserve it. When you were being a rebel against him. When you were dead in your trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a reason to celebrate, knowing that in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our um, helplessness, we have been rescued and that God prepared works of righteousness for us to walk on. So um, as, we, as we transition, I would like to, uh, uh, as, as we prepare our hearts to, uh, to celebrate the, uh, to celebrate the, the, goodness, my English has completely abandoned me at this point, the sacrament of communion. Uh, as we as we prepare our hearts for that, um, let us um, let let us thank God for His mercy. Um, let us close with with a prayer. I I know we had a prayer of confession before I began, but this is a time in uh, in, in which we can uh, we can take a minute, pray quietly, and confess uh, deliberately in this area, because this is the this is the this is the topic that God wanted to address here this morning. Um, and so God knows us. He ponders all, all of our paths. We live our lives in his presence. So confess freely. He knows already. So receive his forgiveness through Jesus and celebrate what he has done. Heavenly Father, what an amazing privilege is to be in your presence. We are thankful for your love. We are thankful that um, you address these areas that are so uncomfortable to address, so uncomfortable to talk about, and yet you address them specifically because you love us, because you know that these things are... uh, um, are important to us and that and, and they are a frequent source of struggle. We thank you for the love you have shown through your son. We thank you because you have been rich in mercy and because of the great love with which you loved us, you made us alive together with your son. So Lord, we come to you with full confidence, knowing that we are fully forgiven, knowing that what you have done for us in Christ is, is, is effective, is efficacious, and we are forgiven by it, Lord. So we, we confess our sin. Let's take a moment to confess. And now let us receive with full assurance his forgiveness. <laughs>